fallen woman. She was a prostitute who was rescued by the Lord and became one of His most devoted followers. In recent years, there has been a movement by uh, modernists and heretics stating that Mary Magdalene was the wife of our Lord. Now, we may not know the exact relationship that they had, but we can understand and know for sure that it was a pure relationship and that there was no sinful thing about it. Notice the first three verses of Luke chapter 8. And it came to pass afterward that he went throughout every city and village, preaching and showing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And certain women which had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom went seven devils, and Joanna the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others, which ministered unto him of their substance." What did Mary see in Jesus? It must have been something very special. It must have been something that caught her eye. We know for a fact that she must have understood that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. But we know also that she only saw something in Him after He saw something in her. But that's how it often works, isn't it? In fact, that's how it works every single time. John said this, he said, We loved Him because He first loved us. We didn't first love God. We didn't first seek out God. God sought us, right? We go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, and we notice that Adam was hiding and God was seeking. We look in... The verses that, or the chapters that follow, we get to Genesis chapter 6 and we see the whole world going off into sin and, and ungodliness and immorality and they are in essence hiding from God, but really not necessarily so much hiding as shaking their fist in the very face of the Father of heaven, yet He still sought them for even an additional 120 years. God sees something in each of us. How we react to Him is based upon what we see in Him, isn't it? That's, what it? that's what happens. Mary saw something very special in our Lord. She saw something that most of the world doesn't see. What does most of the world see in God? Most of the world sees uh, distraction. They see inconvenience. They see a nuisance. They see everything that they want to do that God is opposed to. That's what they see in our Savior. That's what they see in our Lord. That's not what God wants though, is it? Often we look at someone and we do not see what is really in that individual. Right? Have we ever been guilty of that? I've been guilty of meeting people before and, and maybe the way I thought about them, whether good or bad, was not really what it was. And, and by further investigation, I saw that it was something else. There's a, there's a funny story told about Thomas Wheeler, CEO of the Massachusetts Mutual Life Insurance Company. He tells this on himself. He said he and his wife were driving along an interstate highway when he noticed that his car was getting low on fuel. So he stopped in this small little gas station on the side of the road and it had one pump and, and he pulled up to get gas and 
he asked that lone attendant to fill up his tank and check his oil and, and whatever it is that they, they used to do at the gas station that they don't do any longer. And so while the attendant was doing that, he was walking around the station kind of stretching his legs a little bit. And, and upon returning to the car, he noticed that his wife was in a very animated conversation with this attendant. And so he paid the man and thanked him for uh, what he had done. And he said, I appreciate you coming by. I appreciate your business. Have a, have a safe trip. And so he got into the car and as he was traveling down the interstate, he asked his wife, he said, did you know that man? She said, well, in fact, I did. I, I went to high school with him. And we dated for about a year. And so as they, they drove on, he looked at her and, and he said, boy, you're lucky I came along, aren't you? Or you'd be married to a gas station attendant. The wife looked at him and said, My dear, if I had married him, he would have been the CEO of an insurance company. You would have been the gas station attendant. <laughs> see, Mr. Wheeler didn't see anything in this man, did he? He, didn't, he couldn't see beyond the very surface. And his wife was, of course, quick to point that out. I imagine not very many people saw anything very special in Mary Magdalene. I'm sure what they saw was a woman with perhaps a bad reputation. I don't know what kind of a reputation she had. They may have seen a woman who was not living according to the laws of God at that time. I don't know. But we know that Jesus saw a lot in her. He saw something. Only in these three verses, in two other places in the Bible, do we read about... Mary's affliction, the problems that she was having. But that's all we need to read about her, and that's all we need to know in order to understand what kind of a woman that she was. The kind of a woman that was honorable, and the kind of a woman that understood what she needed, she saw in our Savior, and she was willing to do whatever was necessary to become a part of His life. The first thing I want us to notice this morning in our passage is that Mary saw security in Jesus. What did Mary Magdalene see in Jesus? She saw something very special. And to begin with, she saw security in Him. Security that she had never known before. Again, I remind us that the way we react to Jesus is based upon what we see in Him. Or how we see Him. Mary Magdalene was not a well woman, was she? She had a great affliction. It was in fact debilitating. She was possessed with seven demons. Seven spirits of departed evil men. Of course, we're talking about the time of the miraculous and things of that nature went on to prove the power of God over the spiritual world. And she was possessed with seven evil spirits. She led a life of utter misery before she came to know Jesus. She must have been possessed in the way that she was possessed. Was she a prostitute? Was she a fallen woman? Did she live some kind of a lifestyle that was extremely sinful and caught up in sensual things? Well, we're not told any of those things, but we are told that she had some problems. And she didn't have the things in this life that she needed. We understand that her life was out of control and Satan was at the wheel. He was guiding that. He wanted her to be in misery. The text tells us that 
Jesus went throughout every city and village preaching and showing the glad tidings of the coming kingdom. Mary didn't have those things in her life because Satan didn't want her to have those things in her life. And he wanted her, in fact, to believe, just like he wants each of us to believe, when something is wrong in our lives, it all goes back to God. We hear people say that there's always a reason when something happens, right? Someone dies. And we say, well, God took them. Something bad happens and we say, well, there must have been a reason. I couldn't disagree with that more. God does not create sadness in the world. Sin creates sadness in the world. Satan is at the helm of causing bad things to happen in this world. James said, only good and perfect gifts come down from the Father of lights. He wants us to be convinced that God is the source of our turmoil. After all, He's the power of the universe, right? Well, that's right. He is the power of the universe, but He's not the source of sin and agony and problems. We see that throughout the book of Job, right? Job had his faith all the way to what may have been, I guess in his mind, the end of his life. But he never blamed God. Instead of focusing on what we have that is good, Satan wants us to focus on what we don't have and what's not good. You know, Jeroboam didn't focus on the good, did he? When we read about Jeroboam in 2 Kings 10 verse 29, he did not focus on the gift of the ten tribes that God had given him. Instead, he focused on the two tribes that remained with Rehoboam because of his servant David. Instead of focusing upon those ten tribes, he was scared to death that if he allowed uh, the Jews in those ten northern tribes to go down to Jerusalem and worship in the proper way, that they wouldn't come back and he'd lose his kingdom. As if someone could take the kingdom from him that God had given him. He didn't focus on that. He focused on the fear that he had. It says, Howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin... Jehu departed not from after them uh, with the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. What did he do? He said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set up a, a golden calf in Bethel. I'm going to set up a golden calf in Dan. This is your God. You go worship it. Don't go back down to Jerusalem. He wasn't focusing on what he ought to have been focusing upon, was he? But see, Satan was behind that. He should have understood his relationship with God in the exact same way that Paul understood it, right? Notice Acts, or excuse me, Romans 8, 35 through 37. Paul asked a question. He said, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sore? He went on to answer that. He said, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors, super conquerors, through Him that loved us. See, Satan lies to us. He tells us we cannot be well in Christ Jesus. We have to find it on our own. Humanism tells us that there's no greater power than mankind. There's nothing greater than ourselves. And in fact, humanists worship themselves. That's what Satan wants us to believe. See, Mary was not going to find 
well-being on her own. She wasn't going to be able to find happiness and glad tidings on her own. Luke proclaimed, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts 4.12 We can't find it anywhere else, right? Now we don't know the exact circumstances. We're not told the exact timing of her healing from this great affliction that she had, but she did see security in Christ. She saw that because He offered her wellness, and He offered her an escape from Satan. She saw the wellness in Jesus, but she noticed and she saw something else. This is a very peculiar aspect of Jesus' ministry according to the time. Some of His most faithful followers were women. They were women. I want us to notice that why is that strange? Why would would that be a peculiar aspect of His ministry? Well, it was unheard of during that period of time that a rabbi or a teacher would allow a woman to be His disciple. The first century would not allow the culture for those teachers to have female followers. That That wasn't the way it was supposed to be. And then to accept them from all walks of life would have been scandalous for him to have done that. But yet he did. We learn firsthand, just as Mary did, Jesus would accept women. And some of them were his greatest followers. We need to understand that, see that in this aspect of Mary's life. Jesus wasn't some kind of a chauvinist that uh, disrespected women. You know, Modernists today would have the world believe that if we follow the example of the Bible that we are suppressing women in the world. We do not suppress them. God doesn't suppress women. He he lifts them up. I believe one of the greatest attributes of God is He has a very special place in His heart for widows and orphans. He lifts them up. A section of our population that is so often overlooked. If we do not take care of our widows and our orphans, God will judge us accordingly. He's not a chauvinist. He loves all people. Jesus would accept women at any time when they obeyed Him, and He will accept anyone when they are obedient. He said, Come unto Me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. And Mary saw that. She saw security. She saw wellness. She saw other women that were there and that she could rely upon. If we're going to be like Christ, we must accept all people from all walks of life as long as God accepts them, right? Now, of course, this wouldn't be politically correct, but God does not accept all lifestyles. He does not. He does not accept homosexuality. He does not accept unscriptural marriages. He does not accept sin in any way. Can someone be forgiven of those sins and and come to God? Absolutely. Come unto me, all ye that labor labor and heavy laden with what? Sin. Sin in the world, right? And I will give you rest. Cast our burdens upon Him, for He cares for us, right? We can do that. One of the greatest statements I've ever heard... uh, uh, refers to our past. See, our past isn't always what we'd like for it to be, right? 
We have things in our past that, that are not in accordance with God's will. And, and we have guilt over that, right? We feel guilt over that. Well, that's, that's by design. God wants us to feel guilty over sin because He wants us to repent. Have you ever known someone that said, I can't be a Christian because of the things I've done in my past. There's no way God can forgive me. I've heard that. One of the greatest statements I ever heard a man say was, do not let your past pickpocket your future. Do not let your past pickpocket your future. Let's not allow sins of the past of which we repent of take away our future. Never allow Satan to steal the joy of salvation from us. Because that's what he wants to do. That's exactly what he wants to do. Do not allow our past to pickpocket our future. Learn from our past mistakes. Repent of those things. Live in the present. And be faithful to God in the future. Mary saw security in Jesus, but she saw something else. She saw satisfaction. Satisfaction. I want us to notice a couple aspects of this satisfaction. Mary is mentioned two other times in the Scripture in two very different contexts. She is next mentioned when it appears that Jesus had suffered ruin at the hand of Satan. She's standing at the cross. She's at the foot of the cross with those other ladies and she's looking up at the Savior, the man whom she had dedicated her life to, and He is dying. He's dying on the cross, Mark fifteen forty. And to many that sounded like defeat, right? That's what Satan thought. Satan thought that he had defeated Christ. He had died upon the cross. He was behind that movement to murder Him and He had victory in His very hand. Even Peter... The great apostle Peter felt that way. John 21 verse 3, he said, I'm going to go back fishing. I'm going to go back to my, my past life. I'm going to go back and catch fish for a living. After all, our Lord is dead. Died on the cross. Ruin. But how do we see satisfaction in ruin? That doesn't really make sense, does it? Well, it can. She saw satisfaction in Jesus because she saw the resurrection. It didn't end at the cross. It just began at the cross. She was one of the first to see Him alive after the burial, wasn't she? One of the first. She was one of the ladies that went to the tomb to continue the grieving process, but instead she found glory. Matthew 28, 1-10. She went to anoint the body. That was the custom. They were going to go back the next day, anoint the body. They didn't have an embalming process or they didn't use one like we have today. So they would go anoint the body and, and they would continue that grieving process. And, and she went there, but she was filled with satisfaction, wasn't she? She ran to the other disciples, John 20, verse 10, uh, 18, and she said she'd seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. Boy, I can't, I can't imagine that satisfaction. The resurrection of Christ? We need to learn to do that, don't we? We need to learn to say, I've seen the Lord through thy faith. He is alive. He can save us. When life is hard, when pain is serious, when death seems so powerful, remember this, we serve a Lord who never lets death win. Never. 
He defeated death. We can find satisfaction in all of our situations. It was Paul who said, in, in whatever state I find myself, I can be satisfied. Is that because we enjoy the, the toil, the persecution, the trouble, the sadness, the loss? Is that, is that how we find... No, that's not how we find satisfaction. We find satisfaction the same way that Mary found it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, understanding that in this life we have loss. Satan has seen to that. We have loss in this life, but in the next life there's going to be no loss. We sang a song, no tears in heaven, no sorrows given. All will be glory in that land. That's satisfaction, isn't it? Boy, what a wonderful thought. Think of the losses that you've had in this life. The troubles, that's not going to happen. But we have to be faithful to God. We have to have been obedient. We can be reunited with those whom we have lost that we love. You know, I can't wait for that. I look forward to be re being reunited with my dad. I lost him almost three years ago. It's still very hurtful, isn't it? We don't get over those things. We learn to live with them. But I look forward to being able to sit down at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in fellowship and with everybody else that is a member of God's kingdom and being reunited. Oh, it just doesn't get better. That's satisfaction. And we see it in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul wrote to the Corinthians about that. He said, 1 Corinthians 15, 12-14, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead... How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ is not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain? Well, he's asking a rhetorical question. Of course Christ rose. Of course our preaching isn't in vain. I have stood by the graveside of more people than I care to remember. And I have often read a passage from 1 Corinthians. And I know that, that you have as well stood by those gravesides. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-58, we won't read that whole passage, but notice that. He talks about resurrecting. Jesus coming back. And then in the end, he says, Oh, death, where is thy sting? Where's your victory? Death doesn't have a victory. But we do. We have a victory. And he ends in verse 58 saying, Be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So what does that mean? We're going to have a resurrection. Death isn't going to beat us. Death isn't going to overcome us. So for us to be able to be resurrected in the end in a way that we meet Jesus in the air, and we go and be with Him forever, Second Thessalonians. We have to always be abounding, working in the Lord, being faithful, striving to do right, not allowing Satan to shift our focus from security and satisfaction over to doom and misery and, and blaming God and anyone else we can think of. Mary understood that if she was going to have security and satisfaction, she, if she was going to have that, she would have to serve others in the present. That's what Paul's talking about. 
1 Corinthians 15. And the final verse of our passage points that out. Luke 8, verse 3, And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, and Susanna, and many others which ministered unto him of their sustenance. Hey, we can't just not do anything, right? After her deliverance from Satan, she saw that service was a part of gaining security and satisfaction. You can't separate the three, can you? What did Mary do after she was released from her affliction? After those demons were cast out, she dedicated herself to His ministry. She could have just gone back and and perhaps tried to find normalcy in that life that she had before Jesus, if it was normal. But you know what? Jesus does not want the world's normal. He's not looking for that, right? He doesn't want the world's normal. She helped to support Him where she could. She worked for Him. We have to learn that same lesson. We aren't called to simply sit in a pew, right? We aren't called to just to make a a mental ascent that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That's a denominational mindset. We want a scriptural mindset. We don't want what some man said. I always tell people, never take my word for it. Or the word of anyone else. If it can't be shown to you in the Scripture, don't do it. Our souls are too valuable. We have to have service. And that begins with being a Christian, right? That's how we show our appreciation to God for saving us is being in His service. Sometimes people get backwards thinking. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm looking for a church that fits what I need? Have you ever heard that? I've heard that a lot. I've heard visitors come through, especially when I was in the Memphis area, they'd come through and they said, well, we came by and we wanted to see what you had to offer. Well, we have salvation. We have the Word of God. We have a Christian fellowship. We have service that we give to others through Christ so God will have the glory. We need to find the New Testament church and we need to fit God's expectations. We don't need backwards thinking. We don't come to services to say, what can I get out of it? Now, if we worship properly, we'll get a lot out of it. But our purpose for coming to worship service is to give something, right? Give and offer worship to God. We need to fit God's expectations. Mary didn't look for a group just like her, did she? She didn't look for a group that was afflicted. She looked for someone that was like God to fit the pattern Christ needed. Everyone can do that. But we need to do that, right? We have to step out of our comfort zones and we need to transform ourselves into what God wants and be the church that He needs. I think there's another very important aspect to her service is that even in her mourning, she served God. She could have walked away and gone back to the life that she had, whatever that life may have been. But she continued to serve God even in sadness she was going to serve Him. In fact, that's why she went to the tomb, to serve Him in sadness. She saw the importance of service in the face of death itself, didn't she? You know, sometimes we allow bad circumstances to hinder us in our service to God. We allow life to cause us to drift away. Bad job experience, bad family experience, 
we have marital problems. Someone may hurt our feelings a little bit. and we, we decide to drift away from the church when what we ought to be doing is going to God in prayer and asking for His help and, and strength. Mary didn't leave the Lord. Even after the very thing, the very person she had devoted her very life to had died in front of her very eyes. You know, we're going to lose things in this life because that's just simply the nature of life. It's very temporary. And that's why we ought to be like Abraham, right? He looked for that city whose builder and maker is God. It has that foundation that is based upon the teachings of God and in it we can have eternal life. We have to learn to serve during distress and sorrow and in pattern ourselves after what God wants, right? There's always something that can be done in the kingdom no matter our personal situations. Some of us can do a little more than others. Some of us have five talents while others of us have one, but we still have at least one. And we can do that. Mary left the grave of Jesus. She found the disciples and she told them what she saw. She was so happy that He was no longer in the tomb. And Paul told the Corinthians, he said, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He was teaching the others good news, wasn't he? That's service. That's service. Even in our morning. What a great example Mary is to all of us. As we look at her and we understand that when she saw Jesus, she saw security, she saw satisfaction, and she saw service. That's what we ought to see because we base our reaction to Him on what we see in Him. When did all that change happen in her life? Well, when she began to see something special in Jesus. It all started after He cleansed her from the sins of this world and her connection to Satan. We can't serve Jesus until our connection to Satan has been broken. It has to be severed. We have to kill the old man of sin. We have to put him on the cross, right? That's what Christ meant. He said, take up your cross and follow me daily. I think too many of us, or at least I have anyway, let me put it that way, have felt like when I bear my cross, it's when I come into the church building. It's like I park my cross at the door of the church building and I come on in, right? Well, that's, we need to park our cross at the church building because we don't carry it in here and set it down beside us. This is not bearing our cross, right? When we go out into the world and we try to live like Christ, we're bearing our cross. And when something comes up in our lives and we need to put that to death, we are tempted and that old man that we put to death in the water of the graves of baptism comes back up. He's always trying to come back to life. Put him on that cross and bury him. Romans 6, 3 and 4, right? For we're buried with Christ in baptism where we meet His blood. That's where we're cleansed. But we have to be cleansed. We have to sever our relationship. We do that through hearing the Gospel. That's why Paul said, I, I've, hey, I'm only going to preach Christ and Him crucified because it didn't stop at crucifixion. We still have the resurrection. Repenting of past sins, turning our lives toward Jesus Christ and being what He wants us to be. None of God's faithful ever started out like God needed them to be, but they became that way, Right? Isn't that good news for us? At least I feel like it is for me. Confession that He is the Son of God. Submission to baptism and living a faithful life. We see all of that in what Mary saw. Security, satisfaction, and service. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, do that today. Don't leave here not in a covenant relationship with Him. 
Don't leave here not understanding that if He came back within the next moment, that that would be good. We would love His appearing as Paul did, 2 Timothy 4 verse 8. If you have done that, yet you've been unfaithful, you've uh, stepped out of the light of God, come back to Him. James said the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, and we'll pray with you for you as you repent and confess those sins to God, whether publicly or privately, and He'll forgive you. He's just to forgive us, John said. If you need to answer this Lord's invitation at this time, do that as we stand and as we sing.